There's nothing like seeing that before you have to come up and speak. I said in the first service that I'd heard it said that you shouldn't follow children, and I added, or John Clark. And I think that's still true. Uh, just totally off my notes, if you're in my ABF, you know this is pretty regular for me, but what a beautiful thing for me this morning. Those Hallmark girls getting baptized, uh, the Hallmarks are in my ABF, and we've been teaching the last two weeks on the atonement, and what a great uh, illustration of what those girls uh, shared with us this morning. So I cried the first service, I'll cry this service, so that just gets me started in that direction sooner than later. All right, my name's Chip McLaurin, I have the honor of serving as an elder here at Grace, uh, and in light of the upcoming all-church meeting on May 18th, I volunteered to speak to you about uh, how me and uh, my family are excited about what God's doing and, and talk a little bit about uh, my thoughts on that. Unfortunately, I'll be out of the country on the 18th. I'll be in Beijing. I would certainly rather be with you guys here eating ice cream and not eating something that I don't know what is. Uh, but, but so has it. God had that planned a couple years ago, and so we're, I'll be out of the country. Um, when I first got asked to serve as an elder about seven years ago, we were fresh off the mission field and we were uh, excited to be serving here at Grace and excited what God was doing in our, in our lives here. But I had, when they asked me to serve, I, I had one reservation. And I voiced that to Pastor John and that was this. We have some property, which means we'll probably build on that property. And my history in the church has taught me that building programs are not so fun. There's division and problems, and people get their feelings hurt. So that was the one thing I said to John. I said, I dread that opportunity to serve in that capacity, but I feel like the Lord is leading me to do that, uh, to work uh, in that capacity of the church. And so I served a couple of terms and then now have uh, joined again on the elder board. Um, but, you know, that prediction in some ways came true. Uh, there have been some folks that have uh, been frustrated and some that have even probably moved on to other churches. And as an elder and I, just as a general church member, that hurts. Uh, and I, I'm sad that that happened, um, but that is a reality for us. But what I said yes to seven years ago and what I said yes to again on this term is based on the fact that I believe God is doing something here amongst us. And I'm excited about that and I want to be a part of that. God is about making himself known in our community and around the world. He's about glorifying himself, and I want to be a part of how we do that uh, together. Now, this may, next point may come as a shock to you, but I was not a great athlete. I know there's gasps in the audience. Uh, last service where Tim's sitting, uh, Coach Allen uh, was sitting there, so that was even more intimidating, Sharon, at the first service. Uh, but anyway, I, I wasn't a great athlete, even a good athlete, even an average athlete. I was bad. Um, but one thing that I really enjoy today is coaching Little League, uh, just assistant coaching. I love that. Uh, Cord's been on a couple of team, a few teams now, and that's a real joy for me when baseball season comes around. I really love that. Um, but it's not about the winning, uh, really. I know that's what you're supposed to say. It's not about the winning. But it, really, for me, it's not. It's about... Uh, that every day on the ball field, uh, the wins, the losses, and the opportunity to talk to those boys about uh, the tough things. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, all the boys say, we're going to win it all. You know, that's always the thought, and then you get into the season, and maybe it goes in that direction. But this season, it has not gone that way for us. Uh, Cord is experiencing his first losing season. <laughs> if you can see his face, he's not excited right now. Uh, we got blown out a couple of times, didn't we, Cord? And it was not fun. Uh, but that's an opportunity to talk about things, right? And uh, so we did that, and, and so that's, that's 
An analogy that I was thinking about as we were, um, or as I was preparing to talk about this, but I see a real parallel with what uh, we have here at the church, um, and that is, uh, what's God doing with us today? You know, so at baseball, it's, you know, there's opportunities at practice, there's opportunities after a win, there's opportunities after a loss. And so right now, what is God doing amongst us right now? What lessons are we learning? What, are, what ways are we seeing God involved in the property and, and what he's doing? Um, and I know Dennis and Jim and the others have been involved with the building and, and the uh, planning of, of all this. And, but I have to think that God is not so much about the building, the actual physical building. Uh, he's not about what's being erected uh, down there on the property, but he's about what's being erected uh, in our lives. And he's about the change of that landscape, certainly, but he's more about how the landscape of our lives are being changed and how we are sharing that uh, with others in our community. I get an email near about every day from Christianity Today. Uh, if you are not familiar with them, it's a great organization, magazine, but mine is all uh, now through email. But they send out an email, and it has uh, articles and links and different blogs, and I really enjoy reading it, uh, lots of current events. And earlier in the week, there was an article that caught my attention, and the article was entitled, The Good News About Bad Churches. And so I thought, well, that was a catchy title. So I, I clicked on it and read it. And uh, the idea was that they're messy, they're broken. Um, but the author was talking about that each individual church is not perfect, uh, but certainly we are called with a purpose, and we're called to be holy. And that is uh, something that we have to live up to. Uh, so this uh, author, um, she's a professor at uh, the Nazarene University in Idaho, uh, she went on to say this, if there ever was a dysfunctional church, it was the church at Corinth. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians read like a laundry list of problems. Every chapter presents at least one issue where the church is missing the mark. There are scandals, disagreements, confusion, uh, and outright sin. Members quarrel, pridefully taking sides against each other. They hurt and alienate alienate one another. And yet at the very beginning of the first letter, Paul addresses the members as those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called through them, called to them. He points out to them that their God has enabled potential in them. In a sense, Paul tells them, you are holy now become who you are. Now, I didn't read that to illustrate to you that we're a bad church, that we've got lots of problems, and that we're messed up just like the Corinthians. That's not my point. But my point is that we are called to something, and we're called to be holy, and we're called to represent Christ in this community. The author went on to close and said, we're God's people. The church is God's church. God help us to become who we are. When I think about the property, I'm not overly excited about the buildings being erected. I'm really excited about the new aquarium that came up. Uh, uh, but uh, for me, really, it's not about what we're building down there. Um, and the fact that one day our property, you know, we, as a church, will be centered there rather than here, that's not really what it's about for me. What it's about for me is God is doing some stuff right now. He's already done some stuff in relation to this. He's going to be about the business of doing that. Uh, that's what gets me excited, and that's why Becky and I give uh, to the property every month above and beyond what we normally give. We believe in it, and we want to be a part of it. And Jim will, in the, in the coming days, and is always available to talk to us about the exciting things God is doing there. I want you to imagine with me just for a moment 
you're in the grocery store, you're over by the bananas, and uh, that got a laugh first service. You guys are a little slower. Uh, you're over by the bananas, uh, and an old friend comes up, and they haven't seen you in a while. So you begin to talk. And he says, hey, don't you guys go to Grace Community? Uh, I just was going down Lover's Lane the other day, and I noticed that there's a sign out, and there's this big piece of land, and there's this little, this little building in the, on the property. What's up with that? How will you respond to that is a question for us today. Will you answer it in this way? Will you say, you know, I really don't know what's happening down there. I, you know, I'm not that involved. I don't know. Will you say, oh, it's just an office building, boring? Will you say, well, it's not a sanctuary. I know that. What will you say? Or will you say something more like this? You know, yes, this is... Uh, Part of the process we're going through, we're moving down there eventually, um, but this is just the first stage that we're coming up on completion with. And But we're already seeing some really exciting things happen. We've had some contractors donate their time. We've had some really crazy things happen, and then we got the ability to see how, or had the opportunity to see how God worked us through those things. And in a variety of ways, we're seeing people serve the church at that new property. Or you could say, yeah, you know, uh, there's a building right there, but if you look just west of that building, there's going to be some ministry fields, at which point your friend is going to say, ministry fields, is that like a sports field? Perfect lead-in. And you say, it is. It is just like a sports field. We plan to have some sporting events. But what will be different and what makes us a, make, what will make it a ministry field is we have uh, the desire that we'll have, you know, during in between innings or at halftime, we want some of our church members to talk about what God's doing in their life and how Christ has changed uh, their situation and and brought them to new life. So we want to have that opportunity there uh, in the future. So how will you answer a question like that? Okay, back to my baseball analogy. Um, the other night uh, we were at a game and uh, we were doing okay. Um, and we were in the middle of our lineup and uh, they changed pitchers on us. So our batter was up, he steps out. And uh, you know, those guys, I got to stay close to this thing. I'm not an athlete anyway, so I couldn't probably demonstrate. <laughs> uh, so uh, our guy's there, and, and he's our, he was catching that night, and, and I noticed that he was feeling awkward. And that's an awkward time. They bring in a new pitcher. He's supposed to bring it the heat, you know, and you're going to have trouble hitting him. And so I could tell he's, he's swinging like the, the pitcher's pitching, and he's kind of batting like this. You know, the swing swing hits are, you know, are like this. And I thought, okay, this is, he's not feeling so good. So I... I go down and holler at him through the fence. The other coaches were occupied in the dugout, and one was talking to another. And I said, hey, hey, come here. And he turned around, and he saw me. When he saw me, he felt, I felt like he felt, okay, I can talk to him. So he came to me, and we just talked through that awkward moment for him. And uh, so he got up and uh, stood at the plate. What I want to tell you, what I would like to tell you, is he stood at the plate, he hit that ball, Went over the fence, he rounded the bases, put us in the lead, and in the dugout, he looks at me and he said, hey, coach, that's for you. <laughs> uh, but that didn't happen. Uh, and uh, in fact, he struck out. And, uh, but I think that still was a victory for us. And like I said before, it's not about the game, it's not about winning to me. Um, but that kid comes from a broken home. I want him to see me as a father and how I relate to Cord.
I want him to see that I'm a believer. There's something different about Coach Chip. It's not about winning that game. I could care less if he struck out. I wouldn't have cared if he'd hit the home run. That would have been funner. But it's not what happened. But I still would count it as a victory. Um, well, you know, we got a building down the road. We're going to have some landscaping. We're going to do some wall work and some uh, gutter and curbing, and it'll look really nice, and it already does look nice. Um, but for me, again, it's more about what God is doing in our individual lives. Uh, how is he changing our lives? How is he relating to us through this process? And it is certainly a process. You know, he's going to impact some contractors' lives. We've already seen that. We're going to continue to see that. There's going to be city officials that are involved with us and see how we go through this process. They've already seen that. And so God is at work in ways that we probably don't even know. Um, but one way that I do know is there's a lady that lives across the street from the property. She happens to work with me. She doesn't go to church. But she is putting a scrapbook together of our church property's development. She's a friend of mine, but she doesn't go to church. I've invited her, but she said, when you get that new church building, I'll come. Uh, so I'll, I'll definitely follow up with that. And, um, but in the process, she's watching us. She's seeing how we're doing, uh, what we're doing, and, and she's relating to me. And each one of us has an opportunity to relate to others as we're, we're about this business. So it's about, for me, what God's doing right now and what he's going to do in the near future, not the long-term finished campus. That's not what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about what God's doing. So like I was talking about earlier, I think what we need to, to think about is let's be who we're called to be, just like that professor was saying. We're going to have bumps and bruises as a church, but in the end, we are called for a purpose. Thanks. Good morning. My name is Kevin Shore, and my wife Joni and I have been blessed to be part of the Grace Community Church family for many years, along with our three children, their spouses, and now our grandchildren. I'm still getting used to that part. Um, during that time, I've had the opportunity to talk to you on several occasions, usually regarding some type of church business. Uh, today, as we celebrate together as a church family, I have the chance to share with you something much more personal. Typically, I wouldn't be reading this, but the nature of what I want to share kind of dictates that, and I think you'll probably see as I go along. It's a story about redemption and celebration that has taken a lifetime to come together. My mother grew up in Yuma, Arizona. When she was 15, she met my father, who was several years older than her. He was stationed in Yuma while in the Air Force during the Korean War. They dated until my mom graduated from high school. Then they got married and moved to Southern California. A year later, they had a son. Two years later, they had one more. That was me. When I was eight years old, my parents divorced. By then, I had a younger sister. And in kind of an odd case of custody, my brother and I went and lived with our dad. Our sister lived with our mom. We were in the LA area and my mom lived in Orange County. So although I didn't get to see her as much as I wanted to, I loved my mom. Fast forward 20 years. In a conversation with my father, out of the blue, he drops some pretty shocking news on me. 
He said that as they were going through their divorce, my mom had told him that she had had a child before they had met. It was a boy, so I had a half-brother. You may wonder, what did I do about it? Nothing. I did nothing. Of course, I told my wife, and she encouraged me to act, but I didn't. I didn't begin a search, and I didn't ask my mom about it. That may sound a little weird to you, um, but you see, in my family growing up, there was this code of silence. Um, there were things that I just knew I was not supposed to talk about. Um, I didn't talk to mom about dad. I didn't talk to dad about mom. I never talked to either one of them about the divorce. And if you didn't talk about that stuff, I certainly wouldn't talk to her about something like a secret child. So I did nothing with the information. Don't think it was some kind of great spiritual decision, like I felt this deep conviction that the Lord was telling me that it wasn't the right time. It wasn't like that at all. I just didn't want to. Probably out of fear, maybe out of hurt. I don't really know for sure. I just did nothing. Now fast forward another 20 years. At that point, I'm in my 40s. My mom was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. When we learned that it was terminal, I knew that if I was ever going to talk to her about this secret, I'd better do it now. So when I was alone with her, I broke the code of silence and told her what my father had told me 20 years earlier. And I asked her, is it true? She admitted, yeah, yes it was. Um, but it was clear from her words and her demeanor that this was a secret that she had never intended to share. There was obviously a great deal of hurt and guilt and regret in her heart. She told me just a few precious details. Then she said, don't ever talk about this again. End of conversation. Eight years ago, my mom passed away. As time went by following her passing, the Lord began to stir my heart about this in ways that he had not in the past. In the spring of 2012, um, several things started coming together to push me closer to action. I received encouragement from Tim and Margie Allen. There was a book I read by Donald Miller, a challenging message that I heard, all things that I see now as the Lord working in his timing. The fears or concerns that I had before had not changed. Things like, would he be alive? Um, would he be interested in being found? Would he be someone I wanted to find? But I began to see that this was something I needed to do regardless of the outcome. I had no idea where the journey would lead, but it became clear that this was a road that I needed to follow in faith. So finally, in September of that year, on a Sunday afternoon, I told Joni, okay, I'm ready. Let's see if we can find him. We didn't know what year he had been born. All we had to go on was the fact that my mom had been sent to a home for unwed mothers in Phoenix to have the baby and then give him up for adoption. So Joni began with a Google search to find a home for unwed mothers that was around in the early 1950s that still might exist today. She found one. Since that was our only lead, I wrote them a letter explaining my situation and asking if they by chance would be the place my mom had gone to give birth. 
Five days later, I got a reply by email. It said, yes, we have your mother's file. This is one of those moments where like, you remember where you are when it happened. I remember exactly where I was. Uh, I was in Southern California, I was in a McDonald's parking lot. And I called Joni to tell her the news. And when I opened my mouth to talk, I couldn't say anything. I just started crying. Um, all of a sudden, this whole thing just seemed so real. Of all the places my mom could have gone, we had found it. And they had her file. Arizona is a closed adoption state, so I couldn't just jump on a plane and fly to Phoenix and go shuffling through her file. Um, the Arizona Supreme Court's established the Confidential Intermediary Program, where individuals are certified and licensed into the program to access legal documents and share limited information. This would also be the person who would search for and hopefully find my brother. So the next step was to secure the services of a confidential intermediary, a CI. We got the list, we connected with one of them, and so the search began. There are many intriguing and I think fascinating details that I could share with you about the search process, but time does not allow for that this morning. Uh, after several months, to make a long story short, in January of 2013, the CI called and said, I found him. His name is Randy and he lives in Tennessee. Amazingly, when the CI had called Randy to introduce herself and she explained that she was with the CI program in Arizona, he said that he had just recently been looking at information about the program online because he was interested in beginning a search to find his biological family. Now, she was calling saying that his family had found him. Randy had been raised as an only child, knowing that he had been adopted. His adoptive father had been gone for many years, and his adoptive mother had just passed away the year before. He had not wanted to look for his biological family before now because he was concerned that she would be hurt by that, so he had waited. God's perfect timing. As the CI described Randy to me, she said, I hope that you're not anti-religious because he has deep Baptist roots. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> he, he had been raised in a Christian home, graduated from seminary, and had spent many years as a youth pastor. I realized that we were not only brothers by blood, but also brothers in Christ. After some paperwork details, the CI was able to connect us. She gave me his phone number and told me to call him. As you can imagine, that was a pretty surreal experience. When Randy answered the phone, his first words to me were, I've been waiting for this my whole life. And we talked about the mother that he never knew and how he was so grateful to her for the life she had given him. We talked about how perhaps his birth mother and adoptive mother were rejoicing together in heaven over this unlikely family reunion. We talked on the phone for over an hour, and at the end of that conversation, we prayed a prayer together of gratitude for God's miraculous work of bringing us together. In March of 2013, we both flew halfway across the country and met in Dallas for a weekend together with our wives. I think, yeah, there's a picture of that first meeting. We're, we're practically twins. 
Um, my wife mentioned this morning, he actually looks more like Pastor Tim than he does me. <laughs> Since then, we've had the privilege of going to Tennessee, um, and we are hoping that Randy and his wife Lynn will get to visit here in the near future. In the meantime, we, we text, talk, and Skype pretty regularly. He's connected with his other siblings, and by way of Facebook, Randy has gotten to know his new extended family in Larry Pruitt, even, even before having the chance to meet them in person. The whole experience has been an amazing blessing and has turned out in a way I never could have imagined. As I mentioned at the beginning, this is really a story of redemption and celebration. Redemption in the sense that God redeemed the youthful mistake of a 14-year-old girl transforming it into a life that has been well-lived for him, even though she never knew it. And celebration, like that found in the parable of the prodigal son, that says, let us celebrate, for what was lost is now found. What had been hidden and kept in the dark for so long, when it was finally brought to the light, has led to great joy. And that's the point. Celebrate. For this is something that clearly is the result of God's work, God's way, accomplished in God's timing. Thanks for letting me share it with you this morning. I've heard Kevin's testimony twice now, and I can tell you it does not 